Good morning. Wonderful to be here this morning. If you're a guest here, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. As Gavin said, please do stay around afterwards for tea and coffee. And this morning we'll be looking at the book of Acts again together. But today is the final session. Today is the final morning we'll be looking at the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at the final two chapters as we come to what we call the summer Sundays. Um, now, I can't really make jokes about summer in this country anymore because we've had a quite a good summer. Uh, the thing is, as soon as you head to New Day and you get there and start putting up tents, then it starts pouring again. And then that's when I can make jokes about the summer. But yeah, God's good all the time, including the summer. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 27 and 28. I'm going to read the first couple of verses in uh, chapter 27, and then um, we'll read bits and pieces from chapter 28 as well. So if you've got a Bible, please uh, go to final chapters of the book of Acts. If you've got fake Bibles on your phone, then you're welcome to use them as well. Right, Uh, if you haven't got the Bibles on you, the words will be projected on the screen. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan court named Julius, who, by the way, treated Paul really kindly. Then they're on the ship and there's a shipwreck. There's waves and thunders coming from all the way. They have to land on an island. So we head to chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local readers of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no, uh, no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the laws of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. So this is what Paul said before they all leave. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand what their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness 
and without hindrance. This is the word of God. And it's amazing to have this account written by Luke, um, also called Dr. Luke. We have one in-house, but not written by him, but with the other Dr. Luke, by the other Dr. Luke. And there's some really interesting detail in there. But I'm going to focus on two points. And my first point uh, this morning is dealing with unexpected situations. The word unexpected usually has negative connotations to it. Particularly when you talk about, oh, it was unexpected, you would generally and automatically think it's something negative, something that you weren't really expecting, but it's happened, and you're not sure whether it's a good thing. But before that, let's get a bit of a background about it. Paul went to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21. So a few chapters prior to this, Paul is in Jerusalem. He's preaching to Jews um, and Gentiles, and then some Jews come and accuse him and say, you have taken some Gentiles, some non-Jews, into the temple. That's a no-no. You cannot take them to a holy place that belongs to Jews only. And what's next is they take the law into their hands and they want to kill him. They start battering him, they start kicking him, they start really going, having a go at him. And then at that point, the soldiers come, take him away from the crowds, and they take him to the governor. The governor was a man called Felix, uh, who looked after Paul for a couple of years, and then he was replaced by another governor, which meant a new governor, new trial for Paul. Paul had to appeal his case to Caesar because the Jews kept pressing charges on him. So he had to be shipped off to Rome from where he was. Now, the trip didn't go smoothly. This is not a cruise, you need to remember. He didn't go online on Thomas Cook's website or lastminute.com and book a cruise for himself with lots of entertainment and um, get to Rome, maybe in good timing, to defend himself. No, he was taken by force. We need to remember that Paul was a prisoner. And prisoners usually would live below the deck. And he was with lots of other prisoners, some of whom may have been accused rightly or wrongly, some of whom may have deserved to be there. But Paul, it was people from his own nation who accused him of doing things that were not necessarily true. So Paul is a prisoner, but then he remembers. Dr. Luke makes a note. He says, Julius, the centurion, was very kind to Paul. That shows us we can be thankful to God for little things. The kindness of Julius, this man, who I think was a God-fearing man, because later on the soldiers want to kill all the prisoners because they don't want them to get away. And Julius says, no, 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 hang on, hang on. It's not our job to take away life. No, you can't do that. Let them get to the island. Be thankful for God, to God for little things. There was a great storm that came their way. It wrecked the ship. And, um, but people survived because Paul said that God had told him that no one will be harmed on this ship. And guess what? When God says something, it goes. God never lies. What was interesting is, as I was reading this part, it reminded me that he's talking about an island. And I thought, well, I know an island. And it talked about it being cold. And I thought, I definitely know an island that is cold. And it talked about it rain as well. And I thought, Paul walked on Great Britain. (laughs) And realized later on, they said, no, the island was called Malta. So, yeah, um, not quite there, but yeah, very similar. I thought we're the only ones in the world, but we're not, apparently. So, having just escaped uh, the shipwreck and everything that had happened to him, they get to this island called Malta. And you would think that God would allow Paul to have a bit of a rest. What happens is that he goes and gathers some wood 
for fire, and then a snake comes out and bites him. The people on the island who showed him really, really good hospitality started saying, this is God's judgment on him. He's going to die. He survived the sea, which, by the way, is um, metaphorically, particularly in uh, those times, it was not a good sign. That's why later on in Revelation we read that John says, there's no sea in the new heaven and new earth. And I was thinking, I don't really like the idea because I like wearing my flip-flops and shorts and going around the sea and, and having a great time with probably a big pint of slushy next to me. But John says there's no sea. It generally means that there's no trouble. Sea was trouble, particularly in winter time for people at that time. But people said, look, you survived one of the biggest troubles, but God brought judgment to you. And then they suddenly changed their mind because they thought Paul's going to die, but he didn't. He just shook off the snake and started going about his business. And they thought, he's God! He is God! Does that sound familiar? People changing their mind quickly just because something happened or didn't happen. They changed their mind. So Paul carries on, and then what people thought will result in Paul's death, it didn't, but then people brought their sick to him. And Paul took the opportunity. He didn't say, come on, give me a break. I've just come from a long journey. I'm not really supposed to be here either. And I'm just on this island. I just found out it's called Malta. I thought it was England. It's not. And then, now you want me to pray for your sick. And then what's next is that they take him to their official as well. And then there's the father of the official um, who's not feeling well. And Paul lays hand on him. Unexpected, but Paul uses it for God's glory. Someone like Paul has every reason not to really like God at this point, to say, look God, you know, I had an encounter with you, and I think it was you, and yeah, I had an experience, but look, I've really had enough. My own people from my own nation are after me. It's because of you that I'm here on this island, and it's because of you that my life is this way. I can't really do anything I want to. It's because of you I'm here. Let me have a bit of rest. But Paul doesn't complain. He takes every opportunity for God. Shouldn't he at least be able to travel peacefully to a trial that he has to attend for his faith in God in the first place anyway? He doesn't complain about it. Paul knows too well that God's sovereign and he is sovereign over everything and nothing is unexpected to him because you know he controls everything. He is sovereign over the sea and the waves as well. So Paul knows that God is sovereign. God allows us to experience challenges. He allows that to happen. But we need to know we're never in challenges on our own. As I was reading this passage, I was reminded of a hymn, um, It Is Well With My Soul. Some of you may have heard it. It's, it was written by uh, Horatio Spafford, who lived in the 1800s. He lived in America, and he wrote a hymn, which called, It is well with my soul. Now, you would think somebody in a lovely garden in Kent would sit down and write this because it's peaceful and lovely and everything is going well in their life. But Horatio um, was a lawyer. He was a wealthy man. He had a wife and children. Then all his wealth is suddenly lost in a great fire that really destroyed almost a whole city, but including whatever he had. And they were about to take a trip to Europe. So he says to his wife and children, look, you go on the ship. I'll join you later. I'll just sort out the business in here, making sure that everything is in place, uh, and then I'll join you. Before he sets off, he gets a letter from his wife to say, I survived on my own. I am saved alone. Our four daughters have died in the sea. 
Then he gets on the ship towards Europe, and then he gets to a point where people say, this is where your daughters died, about the same location. That's where he writes these verses. I'm going to share them with you. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea below roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. That is the time when this man wrote this verse. He was probably in a similar situation as the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul could have complained to God and saying, it's all your fault I'm in this mess anyway. Now will you sort it? But he knew it is well with his soul. Now with Mr. Spafford, things didn't work out that well either when he got to Europe. Um, they had more children. One of his other sons died at the age of four, but he continued singing, it is well with my soul. How do we deal with the storms of life that come our way in this journey while we're waiting to get to our destination? How do you see prisons and storms as opportunity? Are they an opportunity for you to winch to God or are they an opportunity for you to reach out to Him? How do we deal with the motor of life? When you land on an island, when you're in Malta, how do you deal with that? Do you take it, the opportunity to pray for the sick on that island? Or do you take the opportunity to mourn to God? Now, there is nothing wrong with a time of mourning in Christian life, but that's not what we do all the time. Some of us may have been hurt in the journey of life. I was going to say, if you've never been hurt in your life, put your hand up, but I thought we may have liars in here. So <laughs> we may have people who would put their hand up. If you've lived life, you've been hurt in one way or the other. Maybe not to a great extent as some others, but you have experienced difficulties. Many of us have experienced difficulty within our own families. Some people have experienced difficulty and have been hurt by people from their own nation, from their own neighborhood, some by those that they never knew. Like Paul, he experienced all these difficulties by Jews. It all started by them. They wanted him to be in prison. Some of us may have even been hurt by the church the very family of God, the army of God, the very place that we feel, oh, this is where I can go to and this is my family. And yet that is true. In fact, I'm going to share some of my own life story with you. The first time, yeah, some of you may know that I was born in Iran, grew up there, came to Christ there, probably one of the worst places you want to become a Christian if you ever decide to. But um, the first time I was interrogated, it was by the person I was... The, the, my detail and everything had been given by the person who was discipling me. Now, he may have done it for other reasons, maybe because he was under pressure, maybe he, he just couldn't deal with it or he couldn't handle it, or maybe there were other reasons. But I have every reason to keep that in my heart against him and keep that unforgiveness against him. But you see, I learned that keeping that unforgiveness in my heart against him is me acting God. And I was convicted. Then, when we first arrived into this country as uh, asylum seekers, um, I didn't want anything to do with Iranians, because I thought, they're the ones that kicked me out of the country. They're the ones that have hurt me. In fact, if I could, I wouldn't really go anywhere near Muslims, because I thought, these are the people who, who are the reasons I had to leave my country. These are the very people that really hurt me. But then I came and was tender to with 
through my family. God ministered to me in here, through many of you in this wonderful family. He told me that, yes, I live in a fallen world, and yes, I have been hurt by people that I never expected to, but then he reminded me of what happened to him, to his own son, Jesus Christ. What happened to him? Maybe people thought that I deserved it because I did things that were against what they taught me and brought me up for years and years. But with Jesus, what did he do to deserve that? What did he do to deserve death? Never mind death on the cross. And it was all started by his own people. I know that people in history try to argue that it weren't really Jews who uh, crucified Jesus. It was the Romans. I think it was both of them. But whoever it was, I really want to thank them. If I see them in person ever, I would thank them for doing that. Not because I'm happy that Jesus was suffering, but because if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be able to say, I am guaranteed to live with Jesus forever when I see him face to face. So we thank the people who did that. So I was reminded through many of you of what I already knew, but I didn't want to apply into my, life, my own life. I was reminded that, yes, I did have reasons to really have a go at God and say, what, what is this? What's this life? I trusted in you and yet everything went wrong. Why have I been hurt by the people that were supposed to help me, by the people that share so much with me? But then I realized that there are people who are very, very different, but we share so much more together in here. After about three months, Paul is in Rome. Finally, we're getting to that point where the unexpected things are out of the way. Um, he's been really able to really deal with unexpected things in a godly way. And it's great that we have lots of examples in the Bible of how to deal with things in a godly way. He reaches Rome. Now, you think it's just like a movie. We've been slowly getting towards the point where Paul is going to get to Rome and he's going to stand before Caesar and say, you think you're God? I've got my own God. Let's fight. And then everything will, will start there and then the movie will get to a great point. So this is the climax. It's like one of those Netflix uh, series. You see, you've got episode 1 to episode 125 and then all the way through, you think, oh, the next one is going to happen. And it's going to happen now and then it finishes, you get to the next bit. No, it's going to happen now. The encounter is going to be there and it's not there. And we, the same with Paul. He's in Rome. You would think it's all going to happen now. What happens when he gets to Rome, after three days, he only gives himself three days to recover from a journey that's not, by the way, anything like the journey is today. He's under house arrest, is in his own home, he's paying his own expenses, and there's a guard there for him just to make sure that he doesn't escape. And then after three days, he invites who? Jews. The very same people who kicked him out and the very same people who wanted to kill him. He invites them and says, look, our nation, people who are like you and I, people who share a lot in terms of heritage, they're the, the reason I'm here. I know I'm a Roman citizen, but I didn't really intend to come to Rome and live here. But I'm here now, by the way. And I want you to come and listen to my case. I want you to come because I've got great things to tell you. So you think this is the climax, but it isn't. It's, in the words, uh, words of Sir Winston Churchill, the end of the beginning. So I've pinched that of him. So it's here where Paul gathers all the Jews, generally the elders and those uh, respected in the community, gets them together and he says, look, this is what's happened. Some of them are really happy to hear that, some are not. But 
he ends his conversation with them using a quote from Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah. Now, many of you may have read this chapter, but we generally tend to stick to the first bit. This is chapter 6 of Isaiah. Now, this, it's at this point where a lot of the Jews start leaving because they think this is outrageous. He starts saying, God said in Isaiah, you have ears, but you can't hear. You have eyes, but you can't see. Now, this is in the book of Isaiah in chapter 6, immediately after Isaiah has a vision of God with the angels going around saying, holy, holy, holy. And then Isaiah says, oh, I'm going to die, I think, because I'm in the presence of the holy God and I'm unholy. And then God says, no, you're fine, uh, because I've done something to sort you out. It's okay. And then he hears again. God says, who is going to go for us? Isaiah says, me, me. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. It's an honor. Let's send me. And then the first thing that God tells him to say is, go to Israel and say, you are deaf. You would think if you're a messenger and you're taking a message to your own people, it'd be like, you're great people. You're amazing. I just love you and I'm really pleased with you. Just carry on the way you are. But poor Isaiah has to go and stand there and say, God just gave me a message. Everyone will turn to him. And then he would have to say, God said, you've got ears, but you cannot hear. You've got eyes, but you cannot see. You know why? Because of your hearts. Because what God says, you need to understand it here as well. The Jews don't like it, especially when Paul says, and you know what? God says, this is who you like. And God said that 600 years ago about our fathers. He said that and it's still true. But you know what? God is saying something else now. He says that you're not listening. Absolutely fine. I'm going to go to the Gentiles because they will listen to me because they will hear me. And that was really offensive to the Jews. When God's own people don't understand him and don't listen to him, God's going to go elsewhere. And guess what? God's still continuing that today. God's still working in his church today. Many years after what we read in the book of Acts, God's still doing that. We're getting the climax. We get to chapter 28. You would think there'd be a chapter 29, wouldn't you? Because Dr. Luke doesn't tell us anything about the Apostle Paul. He doesn't tell us anything about Peter himself. He doesn't say what happened. He just ends it there. What a terrible ending, isn't it? But I wouldn't want to argue with the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't dare. So it's a great ending. But, <laughs> but it's going to continue somehow. You, you can't just leave it there. And it's not left there. There is a chapter 29 to the book of Acts. And that's you and I. That's the church with capital C. That's the church that will continue. That is why that was the end of the beginning. A new era has begun. God didn't start something and end it there and then. God is still interested in his church. God is interested in his people. God calls us his bride. This is who we are. That is why 20 years later, we are celebrating the foundations of Jubilee this year. We've been here for 20 years, praise God. And praise God that the church of God has been on his side for many years prior to that. And you know what? The vision is to continue doing this. We're not going to stop on the 21st birthday, because that's the big birthday, and then we're not going to count it because it's going to go up, and then it'll be embarrassing when we get to a large number. No, praise God for what he's doing, and let's be expectant of him to continue the work that he's doing. 
You know, I'm really excited and at the same time really nervous about New Day. Every year we go, right when we get there and we put up tents, I've got a sore back and I say, this is the last year I'm going to go. And then by the time we get home, I say to Mavish, how many days have we got till, next, till the next New Day? I'm really excited about it. Do you know why? Because God is at work. The same Holy Spirit who worked in the book of Acts is working in the lives of our young people. He's working in the lives of the next generation. It's because every time we go there, there is salvation. Not because of the campsite, because that's probably the last place I would choose to go and spend a few days in there. But it's because of the presence of God. It's because of that when I was talking to Arsalan, he said, every year God tells me there is one particular person I have to pray for because he or she doesn't believe in God. And when we go there, he or she comes to Christ. It's because of that that one person, one of our youth in here, believes that God has called him to pray for those who do not know him yet, to come to get to know God. Do you know why? It's not because he thinks it's a bad thing and let, let me not be the only person who has received a bad thing. It's because it's the, he thinks it's the greatest thing he's ever received in his life. It's greater than the love that his father can show him. It's greater than anything anyone can give him. And it's because of that that I believe that Acts 29 still continues today. It's because of that that I believe that Acts 29 is continuing not only in this nation, but in places like Ghana, in places like Turkey. We hear wonderful stories. And all over the world, in India, in other parts of the world, God is at work jubilee. So this is the end of the beginning. We get to the last chapter of the book of Acts, but it doesn't end there. Are you up for continuing the work of God? Are you really there saying like Isaiah, send me, regardless of what the message is? Because it comes from you, and I trust what you say is true. Even if it hurts, even if it's bitter, it's good. To me, it's sweet as honey. Are you up for it? I'm going to ask the band to come up, uh, if that's okay. And we're going to go into time of prayer. Firstly, for those of us who think or who have been hurt. doesn't matter by who. <laughs> that could probably be all of us. But specifically, if you've got something in your heart against those that have hurt you, whether that being your family, whether that being your parents, people in your neighborhood, people from your community, people from your nation, if you're from another nation or even this nation, the church, those who you never thought would hurt you or harm you. If that's you, I want to invite you to come to the sides right now. Our ministry team, if I could ask you to come out now as well, please, that would be great. I also think it'd be great to pray for healing. We take every opportunity, just like Paul did. He was on an island. He took the opportunity to pray. We were in a similar island in terms of the weather that was described there. Let's pray for healing. If you want to be healed from any illness, whether that being emotional, physical, mental, whatever it is. We're going to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the same God that Paul prayed in, in, in that name. I'm going to lay hands on you. There's nothing spe special that we have, but we have a God who is more than special and supernatural. So, if you'd like to be prayed for, I'm going to invite you to come out right now. Again, there's nothing special about the front or the side. It's just that that is the way we know that you want to be prayed for. Shall we all stand up together? I'm going to pray over us, and then if you'd like to be prayed for, if you could go to the sides and ask the ministry team to pray for you. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God of, uh, who loves us. You are a God who is in control. You are sovereign over everything. There is nothing that is a surprise to you. There is nothing that is unexpected to you. 
But we thank you that you allow us and you work in us so that every situation is turned for your glory, Lord Jesus. We pray that as we've come together, Lord, that you would bless us, Lord, that you allow us to turn every situation, whether expected or unexpected, for your glory. Allow us to be bold. Give us that boldness, Lord, like you've given to many men and women before us, Lord, so that we can be bold for you and for your word, Lord. We pray against any bitterness, Lord. We pray against any hurt and any, anything that we've be keeping in our hearts any unforgiveness Lord and we pray will you forgive us from that Lord and will you allow us to leave that at the foot of the cross Lord we pray you allow us to see what you're doing through your church not only here but throughout the world Lord and allow us to want to be part of it Lord we thank you that you could do it all on your own but you decide to work through us through your church thank you Jesus we want to receive your spirit today, so pour it out over all of us. In your mighty name we pray.